like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, we'll be completing my coverage of the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. This is part four of that series, so please go back and listen to the previous parts if you're just joining us. Now, in this part of the novel, all the pieces are in place for a rather bizarre and sometimes hard to interpret and contradictory and ambiguous climax to the story. Where we left off, Barney Mayerson has decided to give up his life on Earth and emigrate to Mars with the hopes that by living on Mars, he can chew candy, choose this drug, and therefore live in kind of a, a state of intact, in, intoxication, a life with his ex-wife that he always wanted to live. He also hopes to help his former employee, Leo Bolero, frame Palmer Eldridge. So Choosy, this new drug on the market, will be banned. So when we left off, uh, Barney Choo Choosy and went into this experience where he actually went back in time and experienced a brief period of time with his wife when he was still married before before he worked for P.P. Labs, before he worked for Leo Bolero, before he worked for um, this candy drug, you know, being an evaluator of, of layouts. Using his precognability, he had a happy life with his wife, and he gets to live in there. Palmer Eldred scolds him for basically shallow thinking and narrow-mindedness, living too much in the past. He gets apparently out of this drug-induced state and reports back to his to Anne Hawthorne, who's also living on Mars with him, another new recent migrant to the colonies. But it's not entirely clear he's out of the delusion yet because the people he runs into don't remember or don't seem to be in the same time period that, that he's in. So we ended chapter 10 on this ambiguous note, and now we can go into the final three chapters of, of this novel, 11, 12, and 13. So where we pick up in chapter 11, Leo Bolero is trying to decide whether he should go and help Barney and aid him in his quest against Palmer Eldridge. Now, there's two kind of ways to think about this. On the one hand, Leo still resents the fact that Barney left him alone when he was previously captured by Palmer Eldridge and forced to take Choosy. So Leo's first intention is not to help him. But eventually he he decides to go to Mars with the help of Ronnie Fugate, who questions him on his, his judgment and his opinions. And Leo finally decides to go to Mars by himself in order to basically push along the confrontation with Palmer Eldridge and bring a, bring a rapid conclusion to his conflict with this competing industrialist. Partially also he realizes his own fear of Palmer Eldridge is leading him to, to a position of cowardice. He says, it's not just wise, all right? I'm too goddamn scared of Palmer to set foot outside this building, of course. I'm not going to Mars. And what you say is absolutely true. This is at the moment when he still fears going out. But Ronnie Fagatti tells him that he needs to essentially, you know, finish the job with his, his enemy. 
Partially what convinces him is a realization that there's a deeper threat against all of humanity, not just his own company, from Palmer Eldridge. He thinks, what we have here, he realizes, is not an invasion of Earth by Proxman, being from another systems. Not an invasion by the legions of a pseudo-human race. No, it's Palmer Eldridge who's everywhere, growing and growing like a mad weed. Is there a point where he'll burst grow too much? All the manifestations of Eldridge, all over Luna and Terra and Mars, Palmer puffing up and bursting, pop, pop, pop. Like Shakespeare says, some damn thing about sticking a mere pin in through the armor and goodbye, king. End quote. Now, this is something that becomes more and more apparent as we get to the end of the novel, which is that everyone who's taken Choosy starts to see Palmer Eldridge in their waking lives. And even when they think they're off the drug, even when they think the drug has not affected them anymore, they'll still see Palmer Eldridge, particularly these three elements of Palmer Eldridge, the, the so-called three stigmata, which are his eyes, his mechanical eyes, his mechanical arm, and his iron, his metal teeth. These um, have different uh, kind of metaphor metaphorical meanings. They uh, parallel um, alienation, that's the mechanical hand, blurred reality, that's the eyes, and despair, and that's, the, that's these metal teeth. And people start to see that and, and even see it on themselves or, or other people. And this gives the suggestion that Palmer Eldridge is in their reality at a more fundamental level than just when they're in this apparent you know, fantasy world that, you know, that Palmer Eldridge, where Palmer Eldridge promises them immortality, eternal life, and an endless possibilities of, of creation. Basically promise them godlike powers. Now, before he goes, he gets confirmation from, from his... Basically, Enforcer, the Enforcer's name is, we talked about him in a previous episode, it's Felix Blau, and he confirms that Barney has taken the drug, he's ex made the exchange, he's bought the choosy, and now he he is, you know, he's chewed the, the drug. So everything is in stage for the frame job that they want to induce. Basically, again, the plan is for Barney to ingest himself with, a, you know, a special drug that will induce a grand mal seizure they could then blame this on choosy and then you wouldn't be forced to ban the drug we get actually a lot of reflections by leo bolero a lot of a lot of insight based on his experience with palmer eldridge about what he's facing and what kind of threats the levels of threat that palmer eldridge really has he doesn't fully know really it, it's all rather bizarre and, and speculative but he you know he imagines at one point that that palmer eldridge is some kind of strange cannibal that is consuming the world via uh, via the people taking choosy, then he thinks maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's some other kind of profound malevolence. So he's, he's kind of thinking these things as he's on the ship to Mars. And one of the, sh the ship's requisition officer basically comes in with a bunch of papers. And it's a woman named Mrs. Gleason. Mrs. Gleason. And she hands him the papers. And she has this mechanical artificial arm that's just like Palmer Eldridge's arm. And Leo Bolero realizes that. Palmer Eldridge is still infecting his reality. And now everything is kind of up in the air. You know, maybe he's never actually escaped the delusion that Palmer Eldridge put him in earlier in the novel. Maybe he's still kind of living this. Or once you take it, Palmer Eldridge is always part of your life. So this idea of him as a kind of malevolent, endless consumer of, of other people's souls and experiences and identities is, is very much real. And then we jump to a scene back to Barney and Anne Hathaway. And how much of this is real is not true, not clear either. Their reality is apparently breaking down too in this world of created by Palmer Eldridge. Um, but we do get Anne Hawthorne, uh, Anne Hawthorne's opinion about what 
choosy dust to you. And it's compared to sin, and it's compared to kind of the fall of sin, which becomes kind of an eternal thing you're bound into. Because in the Christian tradition, sin is kind of an eternal thing you can't fully escape from without the help of Christ, right? It's something that entraps you in. That's how Anne Hawthorne sees it. Quote, once you've taken choosy, you're delivered over. At least that's how dogmatic, devout, fanatical Anne Hawthorne would phrase it. Like sin, Barney Mayerson thought. It's the condition of slavery, like the fall, and the temptation is similar. But what's missing here is a way by which we can be freed. Would we have to go to Prox to find it? Even there, it may not exist. Not in these universes anywhere. So this is the problem. While Christianity offers up a, a trap, uh, the, this thing we can't escape, Palmer Eldridge does that as well, but there's no, unlike in Christianity, there's no escape. There's no Christ-like figure that, that can save them. There's just this malevolent entity that entraps them. And then Barney meets Leo Bolero. Not the real Leo Bolero who's flying over from Mars, but apparently a Leo Bolero that's constructed through his delusion or his, his experience with Choosy. And he starts to have a discussion with them. Now, Barney wants to be with Emily, but he gets into a debate with, with Leo over what is real. And... You know, Barney or Leo, for instance, says, the hell it isn't real. What does that make me then? Listen, there's nothing unreal about me. You're the one who's a goddamn phantasm, like you said, out of the past. I mean, you've got the situation completely backward. You hear this? That's the sound reality makes. And I and I say that your ex-wife and Hanada are divorced. I know because she sells pots off for meaning. In fact, she was in Ronnie Fugatti's office last Thursday. End quote. So this is sometime in the future now. So before Barney was in the past with his wife, and then he gets out of his delusion, but suddenly he's now in the future, you know, a couple years in the future, it seems, after Leo has already killed uh, Palmer Eldridge. And this is a known historical fact because we saw earlier where Barney has went to the future and he's being praised and remembered for his killing of Palmer Eldridge, a great threat to the soul system. So he goes to the future, to a future in which Emily has divorced her husband, uh, Richard Hanat. So this, this kind of time travel and this this ability to get different perspectives on the past is, is something that Choosy apparently can do. Whether it's an accurate representation of the future is something I, I think we're meant to doubt. I, I don't think there's any, any way, there's, there's no way to really confirm it. But he's debating over what's real, and they both have their own conception of what's real based on their own subjectivities, and there's really no way to come to a common agreement. Uh, Leo claims to have killed Palmer Eldridge. But also says that we're all now dependent on Palmer Eldridge, which is something that is apparently true because of the, the omnipresence of Palmer Eldridge in, in everyone's um, experiences. And then multiple Palmer Eldridges suddenly appear before for Mayerson, and they give him an explanation as well of what's going on. And of course, Palmer Eldridge always presents the more comforting vision of what these, these delusions seem to mean. He said, they'd say, it's, it's multiple ones, you don't understand. As we have pointed out to you, since this is your future, you're already established here. There's no place for you. That's a matter of simple logic. Who am I supposed to snare Emily for? You or the legitimate Barney Mayerson who's lived naturally up to this time? And don't think he hasn't tried to get Emily back. Don't you suppose, and obviously you haven't, that all the, uh, that as the knots split up, he made his move? I did what I could for him then. That was quite a few months ago, just after Richard Hanat was shipped to Mars, kicking and protesting the whole way. Personally, I don't blame Hanat. It was a dirty deal, all engineered by Leo, of course. And look at yourself. You're a phantasm, as Leo said. I can see through you literally. I'll tell you in more accurate terminology what you are. You're a ghost. End quote. So in a way, Barney, this, the Barney that he's talking to is the one who's 
currently living on Mars and to choose the experience in the future. So, you know, he is there's at that time another Barney Mayerson living in that timeline. And then he's just a, a ghost. And he goes on with some really bizarre speculations and theological talk, especially on, on the vintage edition, one page 193 has a nice uh, section where he compares uh, the experience he's having with, uh, with Paul's Damascus, road to Damascus experience. Barney eventually confronts Palmer Eldridge with the fact that he's he should be dead in this timeline or he's going to be dead in the future and that the, the, the monument from the future that Leo Bolero saw is proof that he'll be de dead soon and the Eldridge's just claim that that's inaccurate and there's a different reading for for what's happening. Um, later, Barney gets to actually talk with his future self, which is kind of a wild moment in which the future self was able to explain that although Palmer Eldridge was in fact killed, he's not gone and he makes public appearances from time to time and is able to manifest himself. And we've already seen how characters will experience another person with the characteristics of Palmer Eldridge. So this does not seem off the wall. The question is how is he able to kind of survive death? So this becomes from these kind of what, the, what does choosy mean for the user Right, the experience, and that much of the novel is about that—the collective versus the individual solipsistic experience of of taking this drug, right? And that's the debate we thought we had. And it's only in chapter eleven that we realize that another level of of using choosy is that the use of choosy allows Palmer Eldridge, or this entity that has taken over his body, apparently, to live forever via the people who consume the drug. So it works. Immortality, in a sense, works both ways. And all along, we've been told by Palmer Eldridge that, that God promises eternal life, I can deliver it, right? But for whom, right? Is it for the user? That's the original promise. But it also seems to offer some form of immortality for Palmer Eldridge himself. So despite the fact that his death seems to be a historical experience, an historical, historical moment that's confirmed by multiple witnesses and by physical evidence, he's still able to live on kind of as a phantasm, as a ghost. Now, the chapter highlighted this chapter at the end. And there's more conversations. A lot of this chapter is just Barney experiencing different conversations with himself, with Palmer Eldridge, with multiple Palmer Eldridges, a little bit with Anne Hawthorne, some with Leo Bulero. It's all mixed up, and it's just kind of an experience you're going to have as you read it. But this is really, really want to go maybe to dig out different theological interpretations that, that Dick is trying to have a little bit of, of fun with. Palmer Eldridge, for instance, in, in one point talks about freedom and he sees Choosy as a path to, to freedom, which is this common theme, this common theme of his way he advertised and sold it. He says, good question. I wish I knew for myself as well as him. I'm in a lot deeper than he remember. Speaking of being in, you know, in Choosy delusional reality. Quote, you grasp the point, don't you? That it isn't necessary for you to assume your normal gestalt. You can be a stone or a tree or a jet hopper or a section of anti-thermal roofing. I've been all of those things and a lot more. If you become inanimate, the old log, for instance, you're no longer conscious of the passage of time. It's an interesting possible solution to someone who wants to escape his fantastic experience. Phantasmic experience. I don't. Because for me, returning to my own space and time means death at Leo Bolero's instigation. On the contrary, I can live only in this state, but with you... Be a rock mirror and last it out, however long it'll take before the drug wears off. Ten years, a century, a million years, or be an old fossil bone in a museum. End quote. So that's a, you have this freedom when you take Choosy to be other things. Now, what 
Palmer Eldridge can be what we realize at the climax of this chapter. Barney, uh, Palmer Eldridge can be Barney Mayerson and live on in him while his body may be killed off by Leo Bolero. His death becomes irrelevant to his overall existence. So immortality is something achievable for him. And that's what we realize at the end of this chapter is that essentially Palmer Eldridge has found a way to, to live within the body of, of Barney Mayerson. And this actually becomes a physical transformation. Quote, looking down at his hands, he dis distinguished the left one, pink, pale, made of flesh, covered with skin, and tiny, almost invisible hair. And then the right one, bright, glowing, spotless in its mechanical perfection, a hand infinitely superior to the original one, long since gone. Now he knew what had been done to him. The great translation, from his standpoint anyways, had been accomplished. And possibly everything up to now has worked to, with this end in mind. It will be mine, he realized, that Leo Bolero will kill. Me, the monument will present a narrative of. Now I am Palmer Eldridge. End quote. So essentially they swapped and, and Barney's become Palmer Eldridge in the ship. Palmer Eldridge tells them there's a way out. Just be, You can become a rock. You can translate yourself into a rock or some other thing that won't be killed by, by Leo Bolero. So it's, it's not a death sentence for him, but certainly uh, Palmer Eldridge is is finding a way to live forever in another another body. So chapter 12 picks up and and it kind of is continuing the scene and we actually still have Barney and Palmer Eldridge through their connection speaking to one another and he wants to go maybe he can be with Emily and he, he's he's thinking of ways to do that and Palmer Eldridge tells him that Emily has devolved thanks to her the failure of her e-therapy. So earlier in the novel of course Emily went into this clinic to get these e-therapies with her husband, Richard Hanat, tried to unlock their genetic potential. And she actually, it kind of backfired and she started to devolve. And Palmer Eldridge says, you won't like her anymore. And Palmer Eldridge, you know, offers up, again, telling about all the freedoms he has by even suggesting his own freedom to become, you know, a whole planet. And here we're back to the frontier. We're back to the concept of a, of a frontier in a way. And in a novel that's so hostile to the whole concept of the frontier, reminding us again and again that this frontier is just going to be a bleak, disgusting, run-down, drug-filled um, shithole, essentially, that we still... Now, once again, Palmer Eldridge, in his, with his abilities, thinks he can become a planet. He says... I haven't explained precisely what I meant when I said that. What I mean is, I'm going to beat everyone on the planet. You know what a planet I'm talking about? Terra? Hell no, Mars. Why Mars? And Palmer Eldridge replies, it's new, undeveloped, full of potential. I'm going to be all the colonists as they arrive and begin to live there. I'll guide their civilization. I'll be their civilization. Now, of course, it's a very top-down, solipsistic, authoritarian image of the frontier as basically a reflection of his own will and a projection of his own will. But once again, we have the idea, we're back to the idea that the frontier can be something new and it can be better than just a, a slummy extension of the worst elements of, of Earth's um, humanity. Um, so, but for him, it's he'll become everyone on Mars. But it's just fascinating, we're back to the idea of Mars as a bit of a frontier, even if a very preserve, per, perverse one. He thinks Mayerson wants death, and that's why he's not translating himself to to another thing so he can be safe. Palmer Eldridge will, as, as was established in the last chapter, live forever in Mayerson, and he goes off to Mars. So then we're left with Mayerson is on this ship, 
And he's, of course, in Palmer Eldridge's body. And he starts sending messages to Leo Bolero. And he knows he's going to be killed by Leo. He can't really stop Leo. Leo is committed to finishing his quest. That's why he went to Mars to finish the job with, with um, Palmer Eldridge. And so he just despairs at his upcoming death. And that's where we leave Barney Mayerson in the ship. Quote, he sees how he prefers it when Leo's fighters, fighter guns his merchant ship into particles, and he sees the last of a life bitterly regretted. Now, just as this happens, just as he's about to die, he's woken up by on Mars. And Leo's there, there's Anne's there, Zoe Eldritch is nearby too. So all the you know, Barney is apparently still alive in his own body on Mars. Now, all this stuff that happened is not really... The people there, Felix Blaser, too, they're not really aware of all this that's happened to Barney Marison in this choosy kind of delusion, this experience. And and Barn, and actually, Leo's upset with Barney for not injecting himself with a toxin and refusing to do that because the old deal was you inject yourself with this toxin after taking choosy, you have this grand mal seizure and, and then we'll be able to get... Uh, choosy band and then you know, so they're still in this old plan right and Leo Bolero's angry at Barney for not fulfilling the plan and Barney says no he wants to stay on Mars after all so he explains everything that happened he explained how he died or he appears to have died in this while he was taking choosy and he essentially decides that he's going to stay on on Mars and make a life for himself. This is what he sort of decided before, but he kind of confirms this now publicly to, to Leo. Now, as others begin to report on their experience while taking Choosy, one thing they all report on is some entity that feels to seem to be in there in their experience with Choosy as well. And they don't really have a name for it, but Anne Hathaway, or sorry, not Anne Hathaway, Anne Hawthorne suggests that that experience is, is God. But it's an evil type of God. And Barney replies, an aspect, our experience of it, nothing more. So maybe it's not an evil God. Maybe it's just a, a type of God they experience. Um, there's not really a common agreement on what um, the, the experience of Palmer Eldridge was and the experience of Choosy, but all agree that there was some entity in it. Um, and then that brings us to the final chapter of the novel. It's sometime in the future. Barney and Anne are working on Mars. They're still debating their experience with Choosy, debating if Palmer Eldridge could be a god. And Anne Hawthorne speaks to him and, and says that maybe this entity, this Palmer Eldridge, is in us and it's part of us. And basically the parallel here is the uh, a transubstantiation, I guess, that you know, Jesus, you know, the, the body and blood of Christ is in the wafer and the wine, although the weight of it doesn't change. And, and Anne has a story about a cat and a scale and eating a steak and all that. And a little bit of a joke that, that kind of explains this, this theological point about how God or how, how Christ can be in, in the host if he's not physical and, or if he doesn't have increased the weight of it or, at all. And that's the same thing of... Maybe Palmer Eldridge is in them, you know, as a non, in a non-physical way. She says, after telling her little joke, yes, the cat was not the stake, but the cat might be a manifestation which the stake is talking at at that moment. The key word 
to be is. Don't tell us, Barney, that whatever entered Palmer Eldridge is God because you don't know that much about him. No one can. But that living entity from inter-system space may, like us, be shaped in his image, a way he selected of showing himself to us. If the map is not a territory, the pot is not the potter. So don't talk ontology, Barney. Don't say is. Barney replies, someday we may worship at that monument. And so that's, that's the fear that, that maybe Palmer Eldridge will become a deity in the future. And if he is an avatar of, of a god, and that's how he's been experienced, and it is a kind of a collective experience. It is something that everyone who choosy had in common. They have different interpretations of it, but it's, it's all there, right? It's, it, it's kind of like how many people probably do experience God. You, you put 20 people in a room and you ask them to define God or how they experience God in prayer or whatever, they're going to get different answers, right? And different experiences. And that's, it reminds us, I guess, a little bit of when Anne talks about the experience of, of the Holy Spirit. She does this at one point in the novel. She talks about how you pray to the Holy Spirit, you don't pray to God. And how that has a more subjective experience tied to it than, than praying to kind of the father, the father figure. You're praying against to the more subjective experience that's in all of us. We get back to a very Dickian theme here is that after, in that after everything that's happened and after these profound ideas, you know, how do you move on with your life? How do you where, where do you go from there? And it always comes down to you. You pick up where you left off. You pick up where you are. You don't. You know, whether you're on Mars and you're in this horrible hovel, that, that's where you start. That's your jumping off point for the, for the rest of your life. If, like in a later novel, we'll see if, if you do have a disabled, drug-addicted wife, you know, that's where you start your life. And being a good person, being someone who actually has a purpose in life means starting where you, you are. And this dick comes back to so much in, in so many of his novels. Barney, however, is still convinced that Palmer Eldridge, whatever he is, is evil. Um, he thinks to himself, does that make it evil? Do I believe that argument I gave Norm Shrine? Well, I, it certainly makes it inferior to what came 2,000 years before Christ. It seems to be more, nothing more or less than the desire of, as Anne puts it, an out-of-dust-created organism to perpetuate itself. We all have it. We would all like to see a ghost or a lamb cut to pieces and incinerated instead of ourselves. Oblivations have to be made. And we don't care to be them. In fact, our entire lives are dedicated to that one principle, and so it is. And, quite, and this is kind of the more dark interpretation of what Palmer Eldridge is. He's just a life form who needs to consume other beings to survive and expand to survive. Like us, like we eat animals to live or we eat other life forms to live. It's just this kind of mad consumer desire. And, that, and this dick is seemed to be defining as, as a kind of evil, this indifferent desire to to expand and consume and grow at all costs. It's kind of a very interesting uh, definition of evil. So anyways, Barney is out working still, um, out, and he's approached by this predator, uh, like a Martian predator, uh, and it's got him kind of trapped up there, and, and it's actually a real threat to his life. And it actually straight up politely asks, you know, can I eat you? And Barney says, no, you can't eat me. But it, he's in this position where he really can't get away. And eventually the thing kind of sniffs him out and says, you're unclean. And he walks away, and the predator walks away. And so Barney is not eaten at this point. Um, but what's unclean about him is, I mean, the creature says, just you. Look at you. Uh, your right arm, your hand. There's something intolerably wrong with you. How can you live with yourself? Can't you cleanse yourself some way? 
And then Barney thinks he doesn't even look at his hand because he knows his his arm has been is metal. He he is becoming Palmer Eldridge once again. So it it's not over. Palmer Eldridge has still infected them, and and the experience of Choosy is still going on in some way. Now in the final scenes of of the novel, um, the trading ship that originally came with Palmer Eldridge to sell Choosy has come comes back, and Palmer Eldridge shows up near Barney. Barney confronts him on what this creature told him, that he's unclean, and kind of like, what did you do to me? And Eldritch said, you know, the unclean and the holy are confused. Merge merely as taboo. And says that that's re it's really just a, a misperception of reality on the part of that, that predator. You're not really unclean. And what we're told, what we're, what's revealed about Palmer Eldritch in the final chapter here is essentially he is a creature he is essentially an alien that has taken over palmer eldridge and then has has moved on and to survive has expanded itself via choosy yet he's willing to die at this point that his life is is uh, kind of meaningless and barney asks him basically about his previous plan to become mars to become mars at least that's the what he said when he was in that delusion and and Palmer Eldred says, don't fret about that now, Mr. Marison. Just tend your little garden up top. Get your water sister going. Frankly, I long for death. I'll be glad when Leo Bolero does what he's already contemplating. He's begun to hatch it now, now that you refuse to take the brain metabolism toxin. Anyhow, I wish you luck here on Mars. I would have enjoyed it myself, but things didn't work out. And that's that. And then he just vanishes and he's gone. And apparently the event that's been hinted about and talked about throughout hasn't yet taken place in this timeline. The experience that Barney himself has in when he took Choosy of being destroyed by Leo. All this is going to take place some point in the future. Palmer Eldridge will be killed. And, and Barney's left with these instructions to, to develop Mars. Now, is this Palmer Eldridge spreading himself once again? You know, but it's not about spreading drugs, right? He's actually asking them to spread civilization, to get the water working, to cultivate the fields, to actually make Mars livable, which is, I think, what Dick wants out of this Mars all along. And there's that glimmer of hope about the frontier yet here. And it, it's hard to see. You have to kind of squint to see it. But, you know, in such a bleak novel about the, about the future and about our potentials of remaking ourselves in another land, another planet, you know, at the last moment, after all this stuff has happened, we're, we're told that, you know, if you... Your job here is still to plow the fields and to get the water systems working and and to, and to make this this place better. So I, I, I really appreciate that Dick can't get totally free of of the bleakness of the frontier that that we're used to seeing by this point in his career. Now, what is this creature? We're still not sure. And, and there's literally like five pages left in the book. And a lot of these things aren't answered. And, and here's what Dick writes. After all, the creature residing in deep space, which had taken up the form of Paul Martin Eldridge, bore some relationship to God. If it was not God, as he himself decided, then at least it was a portion of God's creation. So some of the responsibility lay on him. And it seemed to Barney he was probably mature enough to recognize this. So that's the that's the end, that's the end of the story for for Barney. The final scene is is Leo um, taking his trip back to Mars, presumably to to kill Palmer Eldridge. Uh, that that event has been foreshadowed often. He's still talking about business concerns about how they need UN support for 
you know, for, you know, make sure to ban Choosy. He's still thinking very practically. He doesn't have the experiences quite the same level that Barney has. So he, he's still thinking in this way. But he starts to convert into Palmer Eldridge. Felix Blau starts to convert to Palmer Eldridge. And you got these three symbols of him, the eyes, the teeth, and the mechanical arm. So even the stewardess, this, this, this ship has a stewardess, apparently. And, and she approaches it and she says, yours is with ice. She asked Felix. She was blonde and pretty with green eyes, the texture of good polished stones. And when she bent forward, her articulated spherical breasts were partially exposed. Leo noticed that, liked that. However, the distortion of her jaw ruined the total impression, and he felt disappointed, cheated. And now he saw the lovely, long-lashed eyes had vanished, been replaced. He looked away, disgruntled and depressed, until she had gone. It was going to be especially hard, he realized, regarding the woman, who he did not instantly anticipate with any pleasure, the first sight of Ronnie Fugate. And what we're learning here is that Palmer Eldridge is infesting himself. Not just people who took Choosy. People on Earth who didn't take Choosy are also taking on these characteristics of, of, of Palmer Eldridge. So it is spreading. And this is inspiring Leo to, to act to finish his job of killing Palmer Eldridge. Now, we're never told what happens at the end of the novel if when Leo finishes his job of killing Palmer Eldridge. Does it stop it? Does this threat stop? That's what his vision of the future told him earlier when he first took Choosy and went to the future. Um, Leo starts to see himself now more and more as the protector of the race. He's confident that he can beat back Palmer Eldridge. And it's only in the, like, the last page of the book that we're given the, the meaning of the, the three stigmata. And this is these three stigmata, and they're, they're again, alienation, the blurred reality, and despair. These are what the evil that Palmer Eldridge is bringing in. It's not so much the these actual physical components or the drug itself, or it's not even about the debate between, you know, do you want the collective experience or the, the solipsistic drug-induced experience? It's alienation, blurred reality, and despair is the real threat that, that Palmer Eldridge is introducing. He thought, quote, he thought, we live thousands of years under one old-time plague, already that's partially spoiled and destroyed our holiness, and from that source higher than Eldridge. And if you can't completely obliterate our spirit, how can... How can this? It may, it is maybe going to finish the job. If it thinks so, if Palmer Eldridge believed that's what he's arrived for, he's wrong because that power is in me that was implanted without my knowledge. It wasn't even reached by the original ancient blight. How about that? And he's confident now that he can save humanity from not only Palmer Eldridge but specifically from these these three stigmata, these the alienation, um, blurred reality, and and despair. And so many of Dick's novels are about those themes, right? Uh, how we are alienated in our workplaces. That comes up, that's a theme that comes up again and again in his works, right? Alienated in our workplace, or alienated from each other in our relationships, or alienated from, you know, based on class divisions, alienated based on race. Uh, that comes up a, a lot. These alienation runs throughout his work, and here is presented as one of the greatest possible evils. Blurred reality, the fact that we can't know a truth, right? That truth is hidden from us or taken away from us, whether it's done consciously by a government or by a, uh, an external force or malevolent force, or whether it's done by our own delusion about our place in the world, whatever its cause, it's a great evil and it must be confronted. It's not something we should embrace. I think there's a tendency to have to come at Dick's novels with a little bit of maybe ennui about blurred realities or kind of like, that's cool. You know, 
I kind of appreciate that you know what I see in front of me is not real. I, I like the idea that there's a real there's something really real behind what we see in front of us. But the fact that there is a blurred reality is one of the the great evils for for Philip Dick, and it's something that has to be confronted. In his later novels, he's going to talk about the need to break free of the of the Black Iron Prison, and and that's what is partially being talked about here. Um, and the other is despair, right? We 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 simply cannot, you know, give in to despair when trying to address these these things. So that those are the great evils, and they're through all of Dick's works, especially I think alienation and blurred reality. Despair is a more general kind of evil. But that's why it's so important that we we hold on when we read Dick's novels that we hold on to the narrative of of how do we how do we fight against alienation? How do we find a, our authentic selves, who we really are? How do we know what's really real? And and we struggle for that. It's not about you know f speculating philosophically about what's real or what human nature is. It's about actually fighting for things that make us real, make the world real and meaningful, or make our interaction with other people meaningful to to ensure that we're treating each other with empathy and humanity and, and that's that's the importance of this novel at the end of the day as weird as it gets at the end i think it ends very solidly with a very powerful theme that in so many ways encapsulates what dick is trying to get at in a lot of his works um so there that's my thoughts on the three stigmata of palmer eldridge um That's it. A lot to talk about in this novel. So if you have any of your own thoughts about these characters, the setting, the politics behind it, the theological implications, that's where we're probably going to be able to have a lot of debate and discussion if we want to, to go a little bit deeper into that. I'm sure I'm misreading a lot. I don't, I don't have the background in philosophy and theology that some of you out there may have. So if you have opinions about those things, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll gladly read your emails and, and think about your, your comments. Uh, so we're done with the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. I think we have just one short story published in 1964 to talk about. And then we'll, we'll move on with a much more uh, classic kind of Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, kind of almost a throwback to the themes he was writing about earlier in his career. It doesn't feel as 1960-ish as, as some of the things we've been reading up to now, but that novel is Lies, Inc., um, and we'll follow that with Crack in Space. So those are two novels that that feel a little bit more old-fashioned. They're kind of dealing with dystopias and more classical themes of governments lying to us and, and, and power structures and that. So it'll be nice to maybe take a break from some of this theological speculative stuff and, and some of the really weird stuff we see in the 60s to some more more classic classic themes with Lies Inc. We'll do Lies Inc. first and we'll follow that up with, with the crack in space. So as always, thanks for listening. Please let me know what you thought of the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. And... Um, and that's it. So thanks. I'll, I'll see you next time. You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever if you